time for us to begin our Bible class. It's great to have you with us tonight. I will tell you that there are two additional adult classes. There is one over in the Annex. It's the repeat of last quarter's study of moral issues. So if you'd like to participate in that or, or maybe you missed one of the lessons you'd like to catch up, those are available. There's also a ladies' class that's taking place in the chapel just around the corner there for ladies who are interested. Otherwise, we're going to be studying from the book of John here in this class. I have several that are sick that I want to go over with you. I'll not share a lot of details, but please keep these folks in your prayers. Irene Baker and John Dryden both are in last stages of cancer. Sandy Bonham is very seriously ill and undergoing treatments for cancer. Martha Eaton is experiencing a lot of pain in her foot. She's had that examined, going to have it re-examined in a few weeks to determine what's the best course of action for her healing. Joan Mormon, she's recovering from shoulder injury and doing better. We're glad you're able to be with us. Uh, their sister Norma also has been very ill. We want to remember her. Austin Wentz, whose grandson of John and Wilda Gardner is going to be uh, enduring treatments for a while, so we want to keep him in our prayers. Verlin Davis is sick with Alzheimer's, and that, you know, is a difficult course, not just for her, but for her caregivers. Brian Rowland's recovering from some foot problems. He's undergoing a new treatment, and hopefully that's going to be the trick. Remember the Daglers and the Beards, both couples having lost homes in fires. Terry Green, who's Ricky's older brother, had surgery for cancer, and they're way, kind of following up on that. Um, we're not able to get all of the cancer initially. Sue Mason's brother, Ricky Ross, had surgery for blood clots in his lungs. Joyce Morgan, she's had COVID. I'm guessing she's toward the end of that. I hope, pardon? She's here. Yay! Isn't that great? Glad to hear it. I'll not tell you that there's another kind of virus going around, but some people I know have had it and got some grandkids that are undergoing it right now, too. Did you hear me? I said grandkids. I just can't believe it. A year ago, wow. Now, loaded up. I'm so excited. Anyway, enough about that. Unless you want to talk to me later. I remember Jacqueline Jumper as she is recovering from giving birth to Lainey Jumper. Pretty exciting, isn't it, Cameron? They're having a good time over there at the Jumper house. Eddie Smith is Keith Freeze's brother-in-law. He has broken his hip. He was to have surgery last Friday, so please be praying for Eddie. Shirley Taylor's mother, Miss Emma Rast, she was 94, longtime member at IUCA. She passed away, and her funeral was on Monday. And Joanne Roberts has two sisters and two brothers who had actually gone to the funeral. You remember her, um, was it your sister-in-law that had passed away? Well, those sisters and brothers are on the way back from that funeral. They're in Missouri right now in the midst of an ice storm. And she would like us to pray for them that they have safe travel. Anybody else very quickly you'd like to put on the list? Neighbors? Okay. Right, anybody else? Okay, let's sing a song, number 514. And after that, we will have our prayer. Again, thanks so much for being here. Who lovingly caught my footsteps and gave me songs. 
kind of a happy little song. And the reason is because we are what? We are redeemed. Isn't that great? Let's have our prayer and then we'll begin our study. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your blessings today. And help us, Lord, just occasionally stop and take inventory of all the good things you've done. We pray for these who are sick tonight, especially for their recovery, if it's your will, or certainly for their comfort. And even more than that, motivate us to reach out and be a support. Bless Irene Baker and John Dryden as they are in the last stages of cancer. And bless their families. Be with Sandy Bonham as she's undergoing treatment. We pray it's successful. Bless Martha Eaton with her foot, Austin Wentz and his treatments, Joan Mormon in her recovery, and her sister Norma, that she can be well again. We pray for Verlin Davis and for her caregivers. We pray for Brian Rowland that his foot's going to respond to treatment and do well. Bless the Daglers and the Beards as they're recovering from traumatic experience of house fire. We pray for Terry Green and his battle with cancer. We pray he'll get the treatments needed to eradicate it from his body. Please be with Sue Mason's brother, Ricky. He's had very serious surgery, and we pray he can recover and do well. We pray your blessings on Jacqueline as she's given birth, and for Lainey as she's growing. We pray for both of them strength and just great recovery. Pray for Eddie Smith, who's undergone treatment for this broken hip, and we pray that he'll have good mobility as a result of all those things. We pray for Shirley Taylor and the loss of her mother, and we just pray comfort for her and the rest of her family. Please be with Vicki Neighbors, and whatever the circumstances, we pray that you will aid her. And we also pray for Joanne Roberts' sisters and brothers as they're making their way home, that they'll have a safe journey through uh, difficult circumstances that Uh, they can arrive safe at home. Lord, thank you for the tremendous blessing your word is to all of us. Thank you for Jesus. As we sang about our redemption, we rejoice in that. And I pray you'll help us, Lord, as we study here in the book of John, that help us to develop our belief that it'll be stronger than ever and that you'll equip us to be able to share what we know and believe with with those who maybe don't. Help us be good students and good handlers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one component of our study is that we're going to be looking at the signs that John outlines throughout the book of John. And last week, we looked at one of those found in John chapter 2, the first 11 verses the actual first of the miracles that he worked in Cana of Galilee, the turning of water into wine. And, you know, this, this isn't locked in stone, but it's just taken the circumstances that are described there. It just seems like that particular story demonstrates Jesus' power as the Son of God over quality. You know, the production of the wine out of simple thing like water was the very best. And so at least, at least that idea is driven out. And at the conclusion of that, those disciples that had been assembled there, which we noticed were just a handful, their conclusion on witnessing and being party to this was that he was exactly who he said he was. They believed. Tonight, Lord willing, we're going to look at two more stories. One of those is in John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 43 to 54. That is going to describe a healing. It's the healing of the nobleman's son. I hope that as we look at that, we'll demonstrate, and again, for lack of maybe a better way of separating it from what the others do, we're going to see... Jesus' power over distance, because we'll note that the miracle actually takes place remotely. The second of the stories is going to be found in chapter 5, the first 18 verses. Actually, the first 15 verses describe the miracle, but 
the fallout of that, and a lot of the conclusion is found through verse 18, so we'll include those verses. That is also a healing. It's the healing of the man with an infirmity. And given the fact that this infirmity was endured by this man for 38 years, it seems to me like this story describes for us Jesus' power over time. Now, we're going to do what we did last time we were together, the very simplest thing that we could do. And that is, we're just going to have the scriptures tell the story. And then as we go through it, I'm going to share with you some things that I think are important for us, maybe just some background information or some things that you can carry away from you just to help you, help us to better understand the story that's going on. Okay, so let's start over here in chapter four, looking at verses 43 through 45. I'm just going to group these verses together according to some things I want to share with you. We're going to be looking for Jesus's incredible power over Distance. We're going to see it in the healing of this nobleman's son. So after two days, okay, stop right there. After two days, if you're in this text, and I assume you are because this is a Bible study, right? So you have your Bibles with you. If you look up, back up at verse 40, where was Jesus for two days? Jesus was in Samaria. I'm going to tap that here in just a moment. But just understand, this, this is a description of some events that are kind of clumped together. So after the two days, he departed from there, Samaria, and he went to Galilee. Some people think that's kind of interesting because Jesus was from Nazareth, and we're going to find out that instead of choosing to go to Nazareth, where he was known and would have been probably a more practical location given where he had been, he decides to go on into Galilee, Cana, as a matter of fact. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Okay, so Jesus didn't go into Nazareth. Why? His own people don't accept him, right? You could go back, if you have your Bible, which I assume you do, you just flip a few pages Back to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 57, you actually have another quotation of this very same statement where there's no honor in one's country. In fact, that text also adds in his own household. <laughs> and I think that's interesting because if you go back to verse 55, those people that he grew up with there in Nazareth, even though you know some of them eventually will come to know Jesus as the Son of God. I mean, it's inevitable. Certainly, members of his own family did. But there was a time when people questioned that, and here's why. Because he's just Jesus. We know Jesus. Back in verse 55 and 56, they say, now wait a minute, isn't he the carpenter's son? <laughs> isn't he the one that was married to Mary? And oh, what about those brothers like James and Joseph, Peter and Judas? Oh, and the sisters. What did those people think about Jesus? He's just one of us. He's just one of us. And who does he think he is? Now, I don't know if you experienced this, but it's just kind of funny. The perception that people have of you if you grew up in a community compared to what people may think of you outside of your community. Now, several years ago, the congregation where I grew up, when I was a little boy, that congregation invited me to come to a gospel meeting. And I'm going to tell you, it was the most emotional experience for me. And not, not just simply because of the reunion of seeing people I hadn't seen in a long time, it was the fact that I remembered myself as a boy in that congregation. So you know how I felt there? I did not feel like an adult who has come here to preach gospel sermons. I felt like that little kid who had put together his little lesson when he was just starting out, standing before a congregation. It was, it was an unbelievably emotional experience just from that standpoint. So Jesus, how does he want to impact the world as the Son of God? What did he come to do? 
Seeking the same. I want to save the lost. Who is it that I would want to save at the very top of my list? If it were you. My own family, my people, right? And there's Jesus would love to go right into Nazareth and just lay it on them and they respond like the multitudes of people everywhere else he goes. But what did he find in his own community? Who is he? Who is that guy? So here in this text, we find out why he actually ended up here in Cana. He didn't go to his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. What did Jesus do back in John chapter 2 and verse 13? He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. What was he doing there? Okay, yeah, there was the wedding feast of Cain of Galilee. However, verse 13, what's it say he was doing? Starts with an S, ends with an S, and has a Igan in it. <laughs> okay. Uh, signs <laughs> is, is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> okay. In that text we find out he's doing he's doing signs. He's working, he's doing these signs. Okay? So Jesus is working the signs. What about Matthew chapter 4 and verse uh, 23? It's kind of the same setting. He's in Jerusalem. He's there at the Passover. And he's doing exactly what we find he's doing here. Except he uses a little bit different wording. It starts out with him preaching and also healing people. So the indication is people who saw Jesus there in Jerusalem, they knew that he was doing what? He's doing miracles. He's doing these signs. He can't get the proper identification or recognition from his own people, but those people over there in Galilee, do they know Jesus? Man, yeah, they know Jesus. And here's what they know about Jesus. Jesus does the signs, and the signs are indicative of what connection with God. At the very least, that God is, God is with him. God is empowering this. The, the thing that you get as kind of a, an addition in Matthew's account of it is he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, so the signs are undergirding or substantiating the message that Jesus is preaching. But given the fact that the book of John is all about signs, then John chapter 2, verse 23 indicates what was he doing. He's doing those, doing those signs. So they'd seen him doing the things that he did in Jerusalem. Oh, by the way, they were miracles, wonders, and signs. And uh, at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So these people knew they were with Jesus. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, Again, what did he do the last time he was here? Okay, he did the first of the miracles, turning of the water into wine. Was that an impressive display of the power of God? What did it cause people to do? There's a buzz now, right? Jesus, we, we know about this Jesus. Now we've seen more signs. We're impressed. And oh, by the way, so that period of time that's indicated both by John 2 as Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And this parallel over there in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, is also kind of setting the stage for a more momentous occasion of preaching that's not actually covered here in the book of John, but preceded what we're about to describe. And you remember what sermon that might have been? Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. Okay, this, Jesus has, has Jesus made a big splash already? Nod your head this way. Absolutely he has. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick in Capernaum. Okay, so he's come to Cana of Galilee and Capernaum is about 20 miles away. How long would it take you to go 20 miles if I needed you? You just hop in your car and, I mean, you know, don't give anything away. I don't, I don't see uh, Brother Farr in here. 
So how long would it take? I'm talking about the trooper one, toy. Uh, how long would it take you to go 20 miles if I needed you? Okay, Luther, Luther straightens out the curves, I'll tell you. So just hang on, you know, bolt down and not very long, right? I think 20 miles, that's nothing. Um, when we lived different places, you just kind of have in mind increments of 20 miles because that's, that's, that's a quick jaunt. But if you were on foot or riding on a donkey or something like that, how long would 20 miles take you? That's probably all day or maybe even more depending on who you've got with you. You may have to break that trip up. It was, it was a sizable distance to go. So this nobleman has a son who's sick in Capernaum, about 20 miles away from where Jesus has just arrived. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, wait a minute, what's the word about Jesus having been in Judea where Jerusalem is? What can that guy do? He can do miracles. Matthew 4.23 said that he can heal people. He can raise people up out of their physical afflictions. Word is out. So this guy comes. He's heard that Jesus has come out of Judea where he's done all these things in the Galilee. He went to him, implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Why would he ask him to come to his son at this point? What's his experience with Jesus' healing? Yeah, apparently that's what you have to have, right? Because... I've either seen it or I've heard about it when Jesus was at that place that people got healed. So the assumption, is would that be a natural assumption? I mean, that makes sense. I don't really, you know, at this point I don't really know about him and so all I can go on is the experience or the things that I've heard. I know that when he's there at a place, that's what happens. So he's going to, he implores him to come down and heal his son. He's at the point of death. Uh, by the way, if your child... If your child were at the point of death, would you go 20 miles with hope against hope that something could be done? At the point of death means what? I mean, he's about to die. You can tell me I'm crazy if you want to, but if, if Jesus can heal people, I'm going to ask him. And don't tell me no. You know, nothing's going to stand in the way of my getting to Jesus. Because, okay, now notice this. There's going to be a progression here. Here this guy is seeking after Jesus, is he not? And he already does what? Starts with a B and ends with a D. He believed, he already believed because he's willing to go all this way. Jesus says to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. Who's he talking to, you people? Is he talking to the nobleman? I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's those folks who... They're like, and, and think about this, a lot of people, those people in Jerusalem were like that. It's going to apparently happen right here. It, it, I just get the sense that Jesus would rather that the other part of Matthew 4, 23 were true, that he did the preaching. That he could just preach it, say it, and people would believe it. But the frustration is that he's preaching the truth, and yet the people are wanting to, you know... Experience a miracle. Show us something. Do you remember? Now, I want to take you back just a few verses again. This would encompass John chapter 4, verses 39 to 42. We're going back to Samaria for a moment. Remember in verse 40, we were in Samaria. We asked where he'd been for two days. He's in Samaria because, verse 39, the woman at the well had told all of her village friends that here is a man who told me all that I ever did. Verse 40, they want him to stay two days. Verse 41, they say, oh boy, we believe because of the words that he speaks. And then verse 42, they say to the woman, you know what, it's not because of what you said. It was initially, but now it's because we have heard him. Now, let me ask you this. What miracles did Jesus have to perform in order to get those Samaritans to believe? 
It was just his word, right? You notice all those verses. Verse 39, the woman's word. Verse 40, hey, stay for two days and tell us some more. Verse 41, we believe his word. Verse 42, we heard it. We believe it for ourselves. Isn't it, and I, I don't even know how to quantify it if I say, isn't it appalling or isn't it frustrating? Here Jesus in his own city can't get can't get an audience that will give him any attention. Then in his own nation, even though multitudes of people are following, they're following because they can get something from him. It is those dirty, rotten, no good for anything, Samaritans of all people, who accept Jesus. And as a matter of fact, in verse 42, what did they conclude about him? You're the Christ. You are the Savior. Wow. So Jesus says, and, and I think frustratingly so, if, if that's a way to say it, with frustration, unless you people see the signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. So the nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. You know, it's kind of like that just went in one ear and out the other. You know what? You may be frustrated, but I've come here for results. And my son is sick. And Jesus said, go your way, your son lives. Wait, is that a moment? Go your way, your son lives. What did he come for? That. What did he get? That and didn't even expect it to happen this way, right? So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he had got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives and he himself believed in his whole household. Okay, now watch this. I gave you two components of it. First of all, he sought Jesus out, right? I want to go find that guy. I've heard what he can do. Number two, what did he, what did he do? What motivated, drove him to go those 20 miles to find Jesus? He Starts with B. He believed it. So he had heard it. Maybe haven't even, even witnessed it. I don't know. But he, he believed it. So he sought out Jesus. He believed it. And right here, he has confirmation of the fact. Right? He didn't even have to go all the way home. Jesus said, your son lives. That's it. Now I'm going to kind of go my way. He trusts that so much that he then also himself goes his own way. And he doesn't even have to go all the way home. He hears word that what has happened. Son lives. He's been healed. Confirmation. You know that is the whole process right there. Nobody, not even God, expects you just to believe blindly. God expects you to believe on the basis of what? On the basis of evidence. That evidence is what supports and manufactures your faith. This isn't a blind faith where I say, well, uh, you know, okay, whatever. This is a faith that is built up by evidence. Case in point, well, our study, right? The book of John. That's the whole purpose of this book. So what did you get from the healing of the nobleman's son? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, I expected to hear about a hundred people roar out, Yes! Okay, that's about six or seven more of you. We're getting there. I'm hoping by the time we get through it, you all will say yes! Okay? Not to head this way anyway. <laughs> okay, okay, so this again is the second sign Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. You say, no, the second one. Ken, didn't you say that, wait a minute now, over there in Judea, the text said that he did all these signs, these miracles and wonderful, blah, blah, blah. What's John doing for us? John is basically saying, I, I want to share with you these signs that I think are important. Here's number one, turning the water into one. Here's number two, healing of the nobleman's son. I think this pertains to basically the indexing of, of the story. Uh, certainly, if you want to go by extension, you can say, well, it definitely was the second one in Cana. Okay, okay, peace on that. Now, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Many other signs which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may 
believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Absolutely. Okay, the second one of these is in John chapter 5, 18 verses. So, let's go. We're going to have to go like Luther drives, okay? So, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So, we're going back to Jerusalem. Uh, what feast is it? Lots of questions about that. It's interesting that when we tend to think of a Jesus, we often say, well, Jesus had a ministry of three and a half years. Well, if we stop to say, prove that, if we hit the book of John, we would say, well, right there in the book of John, there are actually three definite statements of the passing of time. That is with regard to one of the primary feasts, and that being the Passover. It's mentioned in chapter 2 and verse 13, and then reiterated in verse 23. It's mentioned in chapter 6 at verse 4. It's also mentioned at chapter 12 and verse 1. Those are stagings throughout the book. If we're going to have three and a half years, though, we're going to have to have not three Passovers, but how many? We're going to have to have four. We're going to have three and a half, right? If you only had three, you'd... If you included the three, you start, you might get it, but you know the intervals of time don't work out. The only way you can really get three and a half is to have four. A lot of scholars believe that since this is a major feast, and it was reiterated in chapter 2, verse 23, practically with the same wording as it was referencing verse 13 in that text, most, most scholars think this is the fourth of the Passover feast. That's why he and so many others were headed to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Does this sound like just a spiritual feast for the Lord? He can just come in there and he can heal every single one of them in his renown through the world. Yes! Kind of sounds that way, like we're being set up for that. But we're really not. It says they were waiting for the moving of the water. What? What? Moving of the water. Verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, you may be looking at me going, okay, Ken, you know, kind of explain that to me. What is that? Is that just a commentary somebody threw in there? Or what's going on there? Here's what I think about what's happening right there. I think what's happening is that an angel came down and stirred the water, and then whoever got in the water first was healed of their infirmity. And the reason I believe that's true well, you know me. Why do you think I believe that's true? Because that's what that says right there. Now, you want to ask me for more examples of that or how you came to such a peace? I don't have any more examples of it. That's why it's so rare and inexplicable. All I do know is that this text says that's what happened, and so I believe that's what happened. This text is not trying to describe for us why the ifs, ands, or buts of that situation, what it's trying to do is lead us up to an amazing event that takes place. So if you're fast enough, again, I'm sorry, Luther, it just kind of became the theme. But if you're fast like Luther and you can get the water first, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be healed. Who is not going to get healed today? Person who can't get to the water quickly. Now think about this. If you can't walk, and yet your greatest hope is to be able to move quick enough to get to that water to be healed, what kind of hope do you really have? How about this much? Zero. <laughs> you, you can't even walk. Can you see this happening? And I'm talking about miracles are so important. There, there isn't any medical procedure they can do to heal me. So my only hope is to have a miracle. So there's all these people there for miracles. Do, do every one of them have a story and a need for healing? Yes, they do or they wouldn't be there. Who is the most hopeless person that could possibly be there? It is the person who, number one, couldn't defend themselves. 
Who couldn't? You say, well, he should have just pulled himself over there by the water and just as soon as that angel he just stick his hand down in there. He couldn't do it. I can imagine that this had been such a, such a dog-eat-dog situation that those who could do it would just drag him away every day. Just get that man out of here. He's been sick for so long, he doesn't even deserve it. And he's not had an opportunity. Maybe it's God's doing. In these they lay, the great multitudes, the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, they're waiting. Angel did that. Verse 5, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. I don't know if that number rings a bell with you, but we recently, some of us on Sunday, studied through the five books of law. And in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, you might, you might remember that the men of war, and I think that is ironic to describe Israel as the men of war, given that when they had the opportunity to go into Canaan, what they do? You know, they bowed out, scared to death. No faith in God. But the quote-unquote, and maybe it is a sarcastic entry in the Scriptures, but the men of war went from Kadesh Barnea over there to the valley of Zezreb. It took them, guess how long? 38 years. And they all perished out there in the wilderness. Every one of those men of war died as a punishment for their lack of faith. Do you see that as ironic? Here they were waiting and waiting and waiting and perished because of their unfaithfulness. Here's a man who is very faithful, desirous of being healed, and for 38 years, imagine it, 38 years, has had no satisfaction. He has been under the scrutiny of society. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Is that one of the most understated questions you've ever heard? He's been lame for 38 years. Hey, uh, buddy, would you like to be well? Uh, let me think about that for a minute. No. The sick man is, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. See how they were? Dog eat dog. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Hallelujah! Can you imagine? And that day was the Sabbath. Dun, dun, dun. Well, we don't have time to read all these scriptures, but I just wanted to show them to you. I was going to ask you, is it lawful? <laughs> is it lawful to heal this guy on the Sabbath day? Uh, one text is Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 16. In that text, Jesus hits that question head on, and I think it's, it's kind of a, a similar situation. But Jesus asked the hypocrites if when the Sabbath came and their ox or their donkey was in the stall, if it needed water, would you do that? You know, if, if something fell in the ditch, would you pick it up? If there was something that was absolutely needful, hypocrite, would you take care of it even on the Sabbath day? Even if the law said, oh, that might be work for sure. The Sabbath, according to Mark 2, verse 27, 28, who was the Sabbath made for? Man, and not man for the Sabbath. Okay. Here's the general statement. Under normal circumstances... You obey the command to keep the Sabbath and do not work, or else you will be penalized with, do you even know what it was? Death. Does that sound serious? Nod your head this way. Yeah, that's, that's as serious as it comes. Capital punishment. You break the Sabbath, you work on the Sabbath, dead. Okay? But what we learned here, now Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of Sabbath. Okay? Under normal circumstances, you break that law, stoned to death. Under extraordinary circumstances, under unique circumstances, under circumstances wherein your action will bless the life of another human being, then don't keep the Sabbath. Do what's necessary in order to take care of the very thing that the Sabbath was originally created to do. Let's make a modern-day application. Are you expected to be at worship services, say, for instance, on a Sunday morning? Hello?
Hello, anybody but Jim out there? Just say, just commit. Yes, of course. We're here for worship. But there were some extraordinary circumstances, right? So we had the virus, and the elders said, stay at home. Were you sinning by staying at home? You say, well, normally I'd be expected to be there on the first day. But yes, you would. But was the first day of the week created for uh, man or man for the first day of the week? First day of the week was created so you could do what? So you could worship God. So if the extraordinary circumstances arose in which you could not do it, you were not sinning, were you? No, but when the circumstances were no longer an emergency, then are you expected to be here on the first day of the week or not? Yes, you are. And if, and if your... And if your excuse for not being here is not a valid one, then what have you done? It, does that make sense? Now, I've had people who, during the course of our being away, would write me three or four times a day, saying, you know now, I, I've, I've got symptoms, or I'm afraid of the virus. Peace! What is that? An emergency? It is. If you feel the sense of emergency, does God understand or not understand? God understood it in this situation so much so He wasn't going to stone you to death. In fact, not only God, but who stated that? Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath. End of the story. He takes up His bed and He walks. The man departed, verse 15, told the Jews that it was Jesus who made Him well. Who's glorified in all that? God is. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes! All right, thank you.
us to go ahead and get started tonight. We are glad that you're here. I know the weather's not the best that it could be tonight, but uh, we're thankful that you've taken the time and uh, seen the importance of being here tonight, and we want to welcome you to our Wednesday night service here at Boonville, and uh, we want you to come back and be with us on Sunday. <clears throat> we'll have a wonderful worship service at 9.30 Sunday morning, and then we'll assemble at 5 o'clock on Sunday night, Bible classes for all ages. hope you'll make your plans to be with us on that occasion. Uh, just a couple of announcements. First of all, uh, be sure and uh, pick up the bulletin uh, that is uh, located there in the back on the tables. And uh, be sure and uh, stay informed uh, by looking at that. And also, uh, there's updates on our sick uh, in the bulletin. And please take note especially of those that are dealing with various kinds of ailments and so forth. And we need to do what we can to encourage those who are sick. I do want to remind those in the golden circle that uh, we'll be going to the pit stop for breakfast in Corinth this coming Monday morning, and the bus will be leaving at 8.30. So if you're in the golden circle, we invite you to come and be a part of that event. Also, we've got about 45 or so of our number that is going to be traveling to the mountains for CYC, the Challenge Youth Conference, and uh, we certainly want to remember them in our prayers for their safe travels there, and we know they'll be encouraged spiritually by the things that uh, they're able to participate in there. So please remember them, and Lord willing, they'll be back with us uh, sometime on Sunday. That's all the announcements that I have at this time. Uh, our singing tonight is going to be led by Ken Scott, our prayer at the appropriate time by Brandon Elliott. <clears throat> Mark your hymn books, number 939 will be the invitation. Then turn to number 852. Number 852. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, I shall be more and more. The praise of the Lord sing about the blood of Jesus Christ. We sing that song, what can wash away my sin? And what's the reply? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing that beautiful song, there's power in the blood. There's power, power, power in the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And then we turn in our Bibles to <clears throat> verses like uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 which says about Jesus unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Or you think about a verse like Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 7, which says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, 
even the forgiveness of sins. You know, there's really no argument that takes place in the religious world regarding what it is that actually saves a person. You can turn on the radio, you can listen to a myriad of religious broadcasting from all kinds of Christian faiths. You can turn on your television and you can hear Franklin Graham talk about Jesus Christ and his blood that can save you from your sins. There's nobody that really debates the what of salvation. But you see, the argument comes when we talk, talk about how the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. Of course, we know it's the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins, but how does that blood cleanse us from our sins? Well, there's a, a lot of religious people today, many of your friends at school and your coworkers that would simply say, you know, just say the sinner's prayer. Just ask Jesus to save you and, and to have a relationship with you and you pray this prayer and you're going to be saved. Others will say, you know, if you'll just right now accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you'll be saved. The blood of Jesus will wash your sins away. And many others make it so simple as being just believe in your heart right now that Jesus is the Son of God and you will be saved. Well, I'm thankful the Bible gives us the answer about how it is that the blood of Jesus washes our sins away. You know, Peter preached that powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost and those brethren were cut to the heart. They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? They knew that they were guilty of killing Jesus Christ. They were convicted that he was the son of God and they cried out, what shall we do? And notice what Peter said. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Or you think about what Paul was told by Ananias in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Ananias came to Saul and said, Why are you waiting? Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Perhaps Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 can really explain the how and the when that we actually come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. How that blood becomes effective in our lives. Paul said there, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the unison of life. You see, it's in that act of baptism, being immersed in water, that we come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus died and was buried, and when we are immersed in water, we die to sin. And Jesus came forth victoriously from the grave, and, and when we come forth from that watery grave of baptism, the Bible describes one as, as being a new creation. All things are made new. And then we can live a victorious Christian life. Faithful to God, realizing as 1 John 1 and verse 7 says that that blood, as long as we're walking in the light, keeps on cleansing every day. Keeps on continual cleansing of all of our sins. Yes, we're thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the salvation that it provides, for the hope that it gives. And yet let's realize the only way that we can contact that blood is through the act of baptism. It may be tonight that there are those here who may need to do just that 
Everything is prepared and ready. If, if that's your need, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God tonight and are willing to change your life and repentance, you can confess his name and then you can be baptized tonight for the forgiveness of sins. Or maybe you've done that, but you've not really been faithful. You've not lived a life that a Christian should live and maybe you need to make your life right tonight. And so tonight, if you're subject to the invitation, we give you this opportunity to come while we stand and sing. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had to be together. We're so thankful for our classes and our time that we could study. We're so thankful for our devotional and, and the, the message that we heard from Doug. Just pray, Father, that you would be with us as we leave here. Help us to be good servants, to be good neighbors, to show compassion, show love, to show mercy and forgiveness. Pray, Father, that uh, you would be with those who are traveling, especially our youth and those traveling with them. You would keep them safe. I pray, Father, for their trip. They would be uplifted, and we're so thankful for them. Father, we know that, um, that we're weak, and we ask your forgiveness. We pray, Father, that you would, uh, again, give us strength as we leave here tonight. Father, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.